As we come now before God's word, if you'd like to read with me, I'll be reading from the Gospel of Luke. In chapter 1, that's the Gospel according to Luke. Chapter 1. And as you turn there, would you please pray with me? Our Lord, you've told us in your word that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no heart can imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Help us to find hope in that. And here as we come to your word, would you help us just to catch a glimpse of what you've prepared for us? Would you guide us by, our, by your spirit and help us to believe? We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Luke in chapter 1. I'll start in verse 1. I want to read here these first 17 verses. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is God's word. Now, 
we are in a season which we call Advent. It's a time of waiting and preparation and anticipation in the weeks leading up to the events of Christmas. Last year during this time, if you remember, I know it was a whole year ago, I can't remember past Tuesday, but uh, if you were here with us and remember last year during this Advent season, we focused our attention on the angels of Christmas. And we know Jesus is the center, the most important part of Christmas, but the angels are fundamentally messengers. Uh, During the season of Christmas here, they're bringing messages specifically about this child, Jesus, who is born to save. So we spent a a good amount of our time listening and focusing our attention on them, on their, their message to help point us to Jesus. This year, I want to focus our attention during Advent on another important part of the holiday that will help us, I think, to point to Jesus. I want to focus our attention on the work of the Holy Spirit in Christmas. The work of the Holy Spirit in Christmas. Now, to help us kind of get a little bit of a grip on this, I know no image of these sorts of things are perfect, and I've used something similar to this before, but I think it's helpful. So, if you imagine the nativity scene as a an event that's happening on a theater stage. When we watch this happening and we look into the manger, we see, of course, the baby Jesus. This is the Word of God made flesh. This child Jesus that we're seeing on the stage is one of the persons of God. I know this can be confusing, some of the language. He's one of the persons of God. So we serve one God in three persons. We sing that whenever we sing holy, 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 God in three persons. So this child Jesus is not part of God. He is God. He is fully God. When he's called the Son of God, he is not less than God. He is one of the three persons of the Trinity. So in that nativity scene, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, himself fully God, he's the one on stage, seen under the lights. God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, who himself is fully God, is like the director of the play. We don't see him on stage, uh, but all things on stage are happening according to his goodwill and purpose. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who himself is fully God, he is like the stagehand. So if you enjoy theater and you've ever seen a theater show, You know, at the end, people typically clap, oh, clap, clap, and the actors all bow, and often they gesture somewhere, if you've seen a a theater production, somewhere that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They're usually pointing toward uh, backstage or the sound booth or maybe the orchestra pit. Uh, These are indicators of all the extra helpers that you're not seeing on stage, the stagehands who set the stage and move the props and, and coordinate all the lights and sound. They're the ones that make the scene happen. They're the ones that work from the unseen places. It is well worth our time and attention 
to peek into these unseen places at Christmas. As far as the Lord will allow us to see his divine work in the Holy Spirit during this season. So, here we are when Luke now takes up his writing of the gospel of Jesus. He's writing then about the life and meaning of Jesus. He's not just giving us bare facts or details. This is not just a biography. He's trying to help us understand what's going on. But he calls what he writes here, you may have heard it in those first verses, an orderly account. I mean, maybe some of you are like, yes, thank you. Some of the other ones seem uh, so willy-nilly. Uh, but he, he wants to get things in proper order. So he's beginning at the beginning, which is, I think, part of the reason why Luke gives us the bulk of the birth narrative of Jesus. But you'll notice that when Luke is giving us this orderly account of Jesus, he does not begin at the conception of Jesus. In these first verses, he backs up just a little before that, to give us the conception of another child, John. Now this kid, John, is different than the Apostle John. The Apostle John is the one that wrote the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and the book of Revelation. He's the one that followed Jesus during the bulk of his life. So there, there's, in my own notes, I write John App for the Apostle John and John Bapp. For John the Baptist, we've got John App and John Bapp. This is John Bapp. This is John the Baptist. And this child, John the Baptist, is not yet born or even conceived here in this text, but he is in some ways a precursor, a leader up to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is and will be active in him. Maybe you noticed it. Look with me in verse 15. As Gabriel talks about this child, John, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So the question for us this morning is what does it mean that John the Baptist is filled with the Holy Spirit? We know in one sense, all Christians, all followers of Jesus are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a number of places I could go, but Ephesians chapter 5 uh, talks to some degree about this. Paul writes this as he addresses the church in Ephesus in relation to the Holy Spirit. This is Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse, well, I'll read verse 18. He says, and don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So Paul is talking to all saints here. He's talking to Christians, people who are saved by the finished work of Jesus. And he's contrasting and comparing their experience to drinking wine. Uh, just as a side note here. The Bible nowhere condemns the proper use of wine and strong drink or other alcoholic things. It does condemn as sin the misuse of those things or drunkenness. But he gives us a contrast here. Don't be filled with wine. Instead, 
be filled with the Spirit. So there's a contrast, but there's also a comparison. So just as a filling up of wine affects your life and behavior in ways that people like to film and post on the internet to embarrass you, so also a filling up of the Spirit will affect our life and behavior. Not quite in the same way. If you watch sometimes those scenes on on TV where people claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit and, and jump around and act silly, that's not the work of the Spirit. Paul lists here the kind of behaviors we'll see in a person who is filled with the Spirit. Let's keep going. Verse 18, don't get drunk with wine, that's debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words... When you sing hymns and praise to the Lord, which I hope you do, we have time for that. Don't just mouth it. At least give a whisper while we sing. If you're insecure about your voice, at least give a little something. When you sing hymns and praise to the Lord, that is the work of the Spirit filling up the life of a believer. When you thank the Lord in all things, when you're recognizing his grace, even in the midst of some challenging parts of life, when you thank him, that is the work of the Spirit filling up the life of the believer. And when you submit to others, for just a moment, when you think of them before you think of yourself, that act... The work of the Spirit filling up the life of a believer. As followers of Jesus, we want to walk by the Spirit, that by the Spirit's power we're showing the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and and gentleness and self control. Thank you. I lost my thought. I'm glad you can help me out. You know them, the fruit of the Spirit. We want want the Spirit to fill us to such a degree that it begins to impact our lives, that he affects our affections in changing the things we love, that he acts upon our actions in changing the things that we do. And we want to be continuing to be transformed by the Spirit over the course of our lives, that he's conforming us to the image of Jesus, that he's helping us to put sin to death in our lives and replacing it with holiness. This is the call of all followers of Jesus, including John the Baptist. Now, that said, we've asked the question, what does the angel here mean? when he has said that John the Baptist would be filled with the Spirit. 
And I think what we've talked about is maybe part of the answer, but I think it's more than that. It's not just talking about a filling in the Spirit in the way we're all called to, that, that the Spirit would help us to walk in holiness of God. I think it's more than that. And the reason why I think it's more than that is because of what he says in verse 15. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, listen, even from his mother's womb. He'll be filled with the Spirit in mama's tummy. And this is far before any life decisions, moral or immoral, are happening. So this is not just about living righteously. You know, this, this kid, there's not some ooky-spooky uh, supernatural things in the sense that, you know, the child's born, congrats, it's a boy, and the kid goes, hey, mama, how can I serve Jesus? That's not what's happening here. Although... There are some supernatural pieces happening, of course. When Elizabeth, John's mom, hears Mary coming, the child kicks. And the scripture says Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit because the child leapt for joy. But at any rate, what does it mean then when, that John is filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb? And the answer, I think, is this that John is uniquely set apart by the Holy Spirit before birth for a specific prophetic task. Let me say that again. The answer is that John is uniquely set apart by the Holy Spirit before birth for a specific prophetic task task. We see that in many of the Old Testament prophets. So Isaiah said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, as he spoke. Ezekiel said, the spirit of the Lord fell upon me. Uh, the prophet um, Elijah had a, a portion of the spirit that his protege, Elisha, desired so this working of the Spirit in the prophets' lives, that's the way they were able to do their jobs as prophets. This is why um, Peter talks about it. In 2 Peter, just a couple verses here, you don't have to turn here. 2 Peter chapter 1, he writes this starting in verse 20. He says, knowing this, first of all, that no, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So now John is uniquely set in line with these prophets, with Elijah and the rest of the prophets, to be carried by the Holy Spirit now to do what? What is the Holy Spirit carrying John along to do. There's several things mentioned, but the summary of it is at the end of verse 17. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. The Spirit is working prophetically through John, or will in the course of his life, to prepare the people. And there's lots of ways that John will do that. If you're interested, after, when the story fast-forwards a little bit to their adulthood, John the Baptist is an adult in chapter 3 of, of Luke's Gospel, and we see him preaching the good news about Christ. We see him baptizing people who profess faith, 
and the largest part actually about how he prepares the people is he calls them to repent, to admit their sin and confess their need for the Lord. So we could really talk about any of those ways in which John is preparing the people, but instead, here's what I want to do. I want us to just stop for a moment and draw our attention to the fact that the Spirit does prepare us. The Holy Spirit himself prepares us for Christmas. Let that soak in. If you've ever seen a, a kid's Christmas play, you know, the cute ones where they all dress up as all the characters. We've got uh, Mary and Joseph. I always ended up playing a shepherd. I guess a bunch of the rowdy boys. I wasn't a rowdy boy. I think I had to keep track of the rowdy boy, shepherd of the shepherds, I suppose. Uh, but, but if you come to one of those kids' Christmas plays and, and, and you get to watch, you maybe bring your camera or your phone so you can take pictures, and, and you might, might laugh about how how Mary at some point just ends up dragging the baby doll Jesus across the stage because there's always something that goes wrong in a kid's Christmas play. And hopefully, at some point during that play, there's a moment of worship and thankfulness to the Lord for the precious gift of Jesus. But you have one experience if you're a watcher of that play. You have a very different experience if you are the one that puts on that Christmas play. Your experience will be very different than one who's just sitting and watching. There's often a lot of effort put into this, a lot of time, and a lot of stress to pull these things together. There's costumes and props, and sometimes there's lines to memorize and songs to rehearse, and someone gets sick the morning before, so there's a scramble to figure out what to do. And, and so sometimes there's so much stress in the preparation that, that the person's not even able to be present or enjoy what's happening when the moment comes. Preparation is a lot of work, but it still must happen. When the Holy Spirit prepares us for Christmas, we know that he is God, he is omnipotent, he is all-powerful, so the Spirit is not exhausted by this preparation. And the Spirit is not just... <laughs> fluffing up the hay of the manger. The Spirit's not just giving the angels their cue so that they appear and sing Gloria to the shepherds at the right time. The Spirit is not just setting the scene. The Holy Spirit is preparing the hearts of people for Christmas. We know during the Advent season... We often sing what we did this morning. Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. There's a call to us there. 
Let every heart prepare him room. And of course, that's true. There's a sense in which we're all innkeepers deciding if we will make room for the Lord Jesus in our hearts. And we want to be diligent to seek to prepare our hearts to to make him room so that we won't just grow lazy or take this lightly. This is the Lord of glory here. So we want to prepare him room. We, We want to respond to that very tangibly. So just as John the Baptist, even though he was filled by the Spirit to prepare the people, still John as an adult had to get up and go to them, had to get up and tell them instead of sitting at home and playing Call of Duty on his PlayStation or going out busy uh, Christmas shopping. Yet, even though we need to be diligent about preparing him room, at the same time, we know that the thought of being able to prepare our own heart to receive her king is just overwhelming. We know that our hearts are already full. Our hearts are already filled to the brim with clutter, often full of our own desires, our own fears, our own ambitions. How could I ever set this up to prepare him room? We know that during the holiday season, we're often uh, preparing for guests to come into our home. We swap houses during this time, and there's often a flurry of trying to prepare. Often the women are doing it, not because it's your job, but because, well, men, you should help with this. But there's often a flurry to help with the holidays, so there's washing dishes and mopping the floor and wiping down the mirror, and we're trying to figure out sleeping arrangements and who's going to sleep where, and and, and we've got to bake the pie, or if you're smart, you buy the pie and stick it in your own pie tin, uh, and and you you take all the junk that's been out and you just like stuff it into a closet, And, and sometimes all of this or the thought of this is just too much, and so we avoid it, or we just give up on it. And in the bluster of all of this, it's, it's no wonder that having guests in our home is not as joyful as it could be. And instead, it's just exhausting. We sometimes think that way about Jesus. That the prospect of having him come into our home is just overwhelming. It's exhausting. It feels more like just a lot of obligation, so I'd just rather avoid it. I don't want to have to tidy up to prepare him room. The reality here is that we absolutely do need to be prepared for Jesus in a sense. Because Jesus is not just coming in for a couple of days for the holidays. He's not just visiting our hearts. Christ comes to dwell in, to live in our hearts through faith. And so to prepare him room for that, we're probably going to need to rearrange some furniture, maybe knock down a wall or two. It's going to be a total overhaul that needs to happen for, for, for all of this. We know then 
that preparation must happen. But all the preparations of our hearts are all by the Spirit's power. God himself is the one who is preparing room for himself in our hearts. That is lovely and true. Christian, find rest in that. Find hope in that. Find peace in that. The Spirit of God is powerfully at work preparing our hearts for Christmas. He's the one setting the stage. He's the one tuning our hearts to hear. He is the one bringing light to our eyes to see so that we will be able to behold the very Son of God. The work of the Holy Spirit through John to prepare the hearts of the people is still true this Christmas. So what is said about him later in in chapter 1 is still true. This is Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 76. And you, child, you, John, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. The sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet in the way of peace. This is the work of the Spirit of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, would you prepare room in our hearts? Help us to to hush for a moment and see your work in the Spirit. Help us then by the strength and truth of that to find peace to be able to share this with others. Use us to prepare other hearts to prepare him room. Help us to receive our King. We count on you and depend upon you and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.